This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Welcome back to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. Up next, we have former Georgia running back, USFL, NFL, Herschel Walker. I remember you playing in college. You were unstoppable. How did you end up going to Georgia? Was it just because you were from Georgia and that was basically a foregone conclusion? Uh, not really. I ended up flipping the coin. I uh, wanted to go to the military. I wanted to be a Marine. And uh, my mom, uh, you know, she always used to say that if your mind and your heart is fear of the Lord Jesus, it doesn't matter about your decision. So I just ended up flipping a coin, and it came up for me to go to college. And I really didn't want to go to Georgia. So I ended up flipping a coin between what schools to go to, and it came up to Georgia. So I reckon sometimes when you're naive and stupid, God will take care of you as well. Now, how early in your life did you know that you were a good football player? Because I think when you were young, you were a heavy kid, right? I was. I was a little bit overweight. And uh, to be honest with you, I came from one of the smallest schools in the state of Georgia. And I didn't know whether I was a great football player because, you know, everyone always looked down on small schools. And and at the same time, I think I knew I was a good athlete because I was a track guy as well. And I was running track. And, you know, I was beating most of everybody in the state of Georgia so that I knew I could run. But, you know, just football, I, I just figured I was a decent football player and I felt that if I ever can compete, I thought I could compete very well. I wish the Lord would have sent you to Notre Dame. You think he would have sent you there being a Catholic institution? Well, I think Notre Dame would have been a good place. We ended up beating them for the national championship. And <laughs> so that was a, that was a, I did get an opportunity to play against them. I did. They, they're a very, very good organization. They're a very, very good school. And, and uh, you know, I knew a lot of people there from Notre Dame, but Bob Crable and all those guys, they're very well coached. Very, very, a lot of good. What was the transition from uh, small-town high school to the University of Georgia like for you? Well, you know, it was tough at first uh, because, you know, uh, Georgia is such a uh, – right here in my hometown is such a small place and going to a big university like that. But what was made it easier for me is I had a sister at the time that was a, a, she was a grade ahead of me, so she was already in college. And I had her, she was there, and a lot of these friends from uh, – a lot of the friends from – from my uh, hometown, happened to get a scholarship at the University of Georgia, and they were there. So it made things a little easier for me, and I was able to uh, adjust well because, you know, I don't go out. I didn't drink and didn't go out partying, but I was able to uh, hang around a lot of the people that I already knew. What was your coach like at Georgia, Vince Stooley? Coach Stooley was a great man. Uh, he, was a, he was a military guy, so he was very disciplined. That was one thing he, he believed in, uh, being on a team. Is you gotta have discipline. Guys gotta, uh, they gotta trust in each other. They gotta love each other. They gotta play together. You had to go to class. You had to be in class. You had to get grades. And, and that's what, uh, being a college, uh, athlete student was all about. It wasn't just about, uh, football. And what was so strange about it is you can ask Coach Dooley today. I was very fortunate to play as a freshman there on the University of Georgia because he really do not believe freshmen should play the first year. He feel that they should get acclimated to uh, college and uh, really go to class, get their grades up, and play their sophomore year. And I think it was just lucky that I got an opportunity to play my uh, freshman year. Did they explain all that to you coming in? Because you, you were like the most sought-after player coming out of high school and then to find yourself 
not not playing? No, he didn't explain that to me uh, when I first came in. And a matter of fact, uh, I think when I signed, it was after I signed, he really questioned whether I can even play there. I think that was a question mark in his mind because he wasn't really sure I was up for that type of competition, he said. And he questioned uh, whether I can play, which was kind of weird because, you know, growing up a little bit overweight, having a speech impediment, a lot of people always question who you are, what you are, what you can do, and, and all that. So it was kind of strange. I thought I already made it to the top to get a scholarship, and then uh, the coach that I just signed to go to is questioning whether I can play. When did he decide that you can play? Well, he didn't decide I can play until uh, I think probably halfway through the second quarter in the first game. I think the running back coach almost begged him to give me an opportunity to get in the game uh, because he was not going to let me play. He just felt that at that time uh, he wanted to wait. And I think that running back coach, Coach uh, Mike Cavan, went to Coach uh, Dooley and his big coach Dooley at that time, uh, put her in. And that's when he decided to put me into the game, and I played. Now, you spoke about being overweight and having a speech impediment when you were young. Did kids make fun of you? Because of oh, yes, they did. Yes, they and did. How, how, how did you deal with that? You know, that was, that was very hard to deal with at first. They made a lot of fun of me at that time. Uh, and it, it, it was, I sort of recruited to a shale for a little while. Uh, because, you know, I was a little bit intimidated and, you know, being overweight, not that athletic, you know, a lot of people are not going to give you that time of day. So for about four years, I never even went out for a recess. You know, I stayed in class and didn't feel good about myself and all that. So it was kind of hard at first. And then it just got to a point where I just got fed up. And I think that's where everybody got to get to that point in their life. They just got to get fed up. And they got to say that they're not going to take it anymore. And, uh, and, and they're either going to fight back or they're going to end up hurting themselves or doing something against someone else. And I just was very fortunate that I, I got fed up and I just started training, started going to the library, getting books, started reading, and I really just started teaching myself. Did you take speech classes in grade school or high school? I, I did take some speech classes in my grade school, so I, I worked on a lot of speech classes. And a matter of fact, even when I got to high school, I continued to take a couple of speech classes. Uh, you know, one of the things that is, is funny, I remember uh, telling one of my speech coaches, uh, if I can change my dialect, I don't know if you even change my dialect. And he said, no, Herschel, uh, you have a voice that people trust. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, you have a, bo- a voice like a Baptist preacher. I said, what does that mean? He said, well, people trust your voice. I said, I'm a con artist. Yeah, you can say that. Because I went through the same thing in grade school. I had a speech impediment. My mom said, you're going to learn how to talk because if you don't get rid of this, it's going to hinder you, your self-confidence, and your ability to succeed. Well, no, that's exactly right. And you know, because people are going to look down on you at that time. And, and at first, that would teach look down on me. And, you know, I became graduate in my class. But what was weird is uh, a lot of teachers during early on used to just put me in a corner. You know, they just said, you know what, he'll learn sometime or whatever. But they didn't give me that much time the time of day. And that's why I, today I go out and I try to help people that are going through any kind of mental or physical problems. Or, and that's the reason I work with our military or work with anyone that's being bullied. Because, you know, that's, it, it, you know the people don't realize how, how painful or how hurtful that can be. Yeah, well, I had a speech impediment when I was uh, a youngster, too. But once you're able 
to get to, to get past that, you do have a certain sense of accomplishment, and and all of a sudden your self esteem, you know, lifts, and and you feel pretty good about yourself. It, you know, it, it it says I can do something, not quite on my own, but with the help of somebody else, and it it just opens a whole new world to you. No, it does. You know, it's sort of like uh, you know being uh, it's like you can see now. I tell everyone is like open up an opportunity where now you can start seeing where before you could never uh, you couldn't understand things, but now you got an opportunity where you can understand things. So your freshman year goes pretty good, and you end up in the uh, Sugar Bowl. What sort of experience was that like? Oh, hello there. That's no problem. Yeah, say that again now. Say that again. Your you freshman year ended up pretty good. You guys, you know, win the SEC championship yet. If you face uh, Notre Dame in the Sugar Bowl, what was that experience like? Well, I, I absolutely loved it. I, I feel everyone, people talk about uh, what's my favorite uh, time of year, what's my favorite football memory. I go back to that Notre Dame game, and not just a Notre Dame game, but my freshman year. Because, and not that we won at a game or we beat Notre Dame for the national championship, but I think that's where I became a a guy to understand that if you work as a team, I don't care whether it's in football and business and life, you work as a team, we can accomplish a lot of things. And because at the University of Georgia, we were not the most talented football team in college football. We were not the biggest. We were not the fastest. But one thing about it is we loved each other. We played as a unit. And we kind of we got the job done. And I think when you look around at football today, you see a lot of teams that's playing together so well and they're gelling, they've made their winning. And that's what it takes. It doesn't matter that you got all the talent on that team. What matters is you gotta to play together. Everyone has got to be on the same page and that's what it was with uh with us. In that game you rushed thirty six times for hundred and fifty yards and early on you dislocated your shoulder? How how, yes, how, how are you able to do that? Well, you know, what was strange about it is uh, being a little naive and stupid sometimes when I dislocated my shoulder, they told me that uh, that I couldn't play anymore and I couldn't understand the reason why. And uh, they said, well, your shoulder's out of place. And I said, well, since it's out of place, I mean, you can put it back. And they said, take surgery to put that back. And I said, surgery didn't take it out. So I, uh, it hurt worse being out than it did being putting it back. So that was one reason I had them to put it back in place. I felt that I, it would feel much better to put it back. So going into the 81 season, did you guys were you guys fairly confident, hey, we're national champs, we can do this thing again? Well, I think we were confident that now we knew we could play. And I think that's what, what it takes. And I, and I tell this, people this all the time. The difference between athletes or, or success is so money, it's so small, but you got to believe it. I think it starts upstairs. You got to believe it enough that you're going to go out and you're going to work your tail off because it's going to take that. You know, you're not just going to show up and be born with athletic ability. You got to get out and you got to work it. You got to nurture it. And I think that's what it did to us. We just started believing that we can win games. We started believing that we can beat almost anybody, but we had to work at it. And once again, the season ends with you guys in the Sugar Bowl, this time against Pitt and a quarterback by the name of Dan Marino with a little different result. Yes. 
Well, watch you on the sidelines as, as Marino was quarterbacking. Could you, did you say to yourself, this guy's pretty good. He, he, he oh, might no, have I, a career beyond college. Yeah, yeah, we knew he was pretty good. And what was so strange about it, and when people look back at that game, we had them beat. We totally had Pittsburgh beat. And I think it was uh, it was fourth and about 20. And it was strange. The clock was winding down, and we blitzed. And we were winning the game, and Dan Marino, the great quarterback that he was, uh, stepped back and hit the tight end right down the middle for a touchdown. He ended up beating us, and that's what's so strange about it. You got to be on on your point all the time, and you know it took someone like Dan Marino to beat us. I hope I, hope I can say that. 1982 comes along, and here's Herschel Walker with what a, a fractured thumb before the season starts. Do you figure you were out for a month or so? No, I, I really didn't. I, uh, you know, I'm one of these players that you, you, sometimes you got to play injured. And, you know, I thought I can play injured with that big cast on my hand, you know, the first game. We had uh, Electron, as we call him, that was playing, and I thought I can play a little bit. So I thought it was going to be okay. Uh, you know, I, I, I think we had a lot of confidence in that team. We had been winning. We knew how to win. We knew what it take. And, and everybody seemed to step up when someone else goes down. So I just, I just felt I'd be right back and I'd be back in there swinging at it again. And you guys win your third SEC championship in three seasons. You figured that this is, this is pretty routine stuff, right? Well, you know, we did. We, we felt we, we were going to win and we felt that we had the ability to win. And that's what we set out to do. Uh, but at the same time, we sort of knew that it was going to take work. You know, when you play, uh, when you have people like Alabama that's going to be lurking in the LSU, you had to worry about those teams. And so uh, we felt that if we can go out and beat who we needed to be, then we're going to be okay. And uh, and that's what we did. And so you guys played Penn State uh, for the national championship, and yeah. Penn State ends up winning 27-23? Yeah. Did, did you know at the time that that was going to be it for, for you in the college ranks? I uh, know I didn't. You know what was so strange about it is uh, when I got back to the University of Georgia, uh, that's when I heard about this USFL thing, and I ended up flipping a coin again, go to the USFL or stay in college, and uh, sending my wife and I, we were sending my apartment. We flipped the coin. It came to go to the USFL, and, and, and we left. So you, you end up with the New Jersey Generals. What, what was the transition like from Athens, Georgia, to going out to New Jersey. Now that was tough. That was hard because you know New York is a big place. Uh, you know New York is a big, big place. But it, it made things a little uh, easier for me because my wife is from Brooklyn. She had family members up in New York, New Jersey. So uh, you know, sort of like I there was people that I knew, and and also I was working with Adidas a great deal. And a lot of the guys that I knew were there in the New Jersey area, so they have to make the transition a little bit easier for me. But, you know, being up in the Big Apple, is a, is a, it's a tough place, but the people are a little bit easier. Was the transition in terms of football easy or difficult going to the professional level? Uh, you know, that was difficult because now you're stepping up to another uh, sort of level. You're stepping up to a level where, uh, you know, and I tell people this, you go from college to, from high school to college, Everyone on that college team got a scholarship because they have that athletic ability. Now you go to uh, pro ball, professional ball. Now you step up to another elite uh, set of talents. So it made things a little bit harder, but at the same time, I continue to work work hard. And that's what I tell 
people all the time. You have to work. Even when you're a pro uh, football player, you just don't want to practice and go home. When you go home, sometimes you may have to do a little extra running. Sometimes you may have to do a little bit extra work because you got to have a little bit more to bring to the table because everybody on that team is pretty good. The USL eventually folded, and you end up with the the Dallas Cowboys. Was that where you wanted to be? Well, you know, I told you my best way I played. You know, I didn't really follow football that much, but I had two brothers that loved the Dallas Cowboys, and I felt <laughs> I loved to play in Dallas. I didn't think that I would because uh, Tony Dorsett, but I was very fortunate that Tex uh, Lamb called me up, and he said, I you just drafting for the Dallas Cowboys. And I had a chance to go there and play for, uh, I think, one of the finest coaches ever to coach football, Tom Landry, and play with, uh, you know, some Hall of Fame guys, the Randy White, the Tony Dorsett, the Ed Tuttle Jones, the Danny White. So I got a chance to play with some guys that, uh, that you know, I, I think were absolutely incredible that even taught me even more about professionalism. He mentioned Tony Dorsett. You and he ended up in the same backfield. That, that's not that's that's not too bad to have a couple of phenomenal runners like that. No, not not bad at all. And you know, and being with Tony, I tell people all the time. I watched Tony play with injuries, and that's what's so amazing. That this guy went out. Well, Randy White. This guy went out when he was like at injured, and he played. And that showed the type of player that he was. Whereas today, you have some guys that get a little hangnail and they don't want to do anything. But, you know, I watch guys play random white play with a broken hand. And, you know, the guy have two or three sacks in a game and never, never saw them complain. They showed up to, uh, to work every day and they worked. They were not a guy that was on the sideline over on the, uh, standing out there watching everyone else practice. These are older guys right there practicing and they work. Now, you ended up dancing with the Fort Worth Ballet? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How did that come about? Well, you know, I, I had taken ballet when I was in college a little bit during the uh, sort of off-campus. Uh, yeah, I've been in martial arts. I, I was fighting in, people don't know this, I fought in martial arts tournament uh, like on Sunday after church when I was playing at Georgia. I used to go to church Sunday morning and go fight in martial arts tournament uh, Sunday afternoon. And one day uh, I felt that ballet can help give me flexibility. So I got into uh, with the ballet and uh, got where I, I like it. It helped my flexibility out. Well, ballet is very difficult. People think ballet is easy. Ballet is very, very difficult. And uh, when I got to Texas, the Fort Worth Ballet knew that I danced a little bit, and they asked if I'd do a thing uh, with them to help raise money. And, 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 you know, me being such a guy to always say, I do it, I do it, I do it. I said, yes, I do it. So after practice, I would go to Fort Worth and uh, train with the ballet company there to do this uh, routine with them. And every day I would go, coming back home, I, I would tell myself, I need to get out of this. I got to get out of this. This is so hard. But being something else, I say, you know what, Hershey, you never give enough. You got to keep doing it. So I end up dancing with the Fort Worth Ballet. Did your teammates make fun of that or anything? Or, or did they understand that ballet dancing uh, no. requires an awful lot of athleticism? Uh, well, they made fun of it at first. But people knew I was a sort of different kind of guy. And then they, uh, they, uh, sort of accepted that and they knew ballet was hard because I told them it was hard and they thought the way I practiced. So they knew if I was saying that it was difficult, it had to be hard. After Tony Dorsett gets traded by Dallas to Denver, then all of a sudden it, it becomes the, uh, the Herschel Walker show down in, in Cowboy Land. Was that 
liberating for you as as a player to not have to share that backfield with him? Uh, not at all, uh, because you know, I love Tony. Tony and I was a roommate in uh, in training camp, and Tony really was having me out a great deal to adjust to Dallas, adjust to professionalism, and and to see him go with hard. And you know, a lot of people didn't know, but you know, my first year at Dallas under Coach Landry, I broke the receiving record for the Dallas Cowboys as a receiver. So I was playing out wide. I was doing a lot of different things. And I tell people, uh, point of view itself uh, was a blessing to me because people started, I can do a lot of different things. I was just not, quote, a running back. And I think being in Dallas, they gave me an opportunity to play wide out, to play full back, to play running back. And I was being moved around a great deal, which I enjoyed doing, and having Tony on the team there because, you know, you never know what that guy going to do. You went to the Pro Bowl in 87 and 88. And then in 1989, you, you get traded to to Minnesota for you know five players. Did, did you see that deal coming? Not at all. You know that was a deal that was done, and like I said, I I had no clue that was going to happen. And, and when it was done, you know it was sort of shocking uh, because you know I was doing so well in Dallas and. Now I'm going up to Minnesota to play, and, and, and so, you know, you make your home in, in Texas. So to go to the whole different place, that's a tough place. And uh, not a tough place, but it's a tough tough pill to swallow. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that much about Minnesota. You know, I was happy in Dallas. And, but then for me to continue to play, I knew that I had to, uh, had to go ahead and go along with the trade. Which was hard because the I think the Vikings coaches never knew that there was even a trade in the work. They didn't find out that was a trade until Herschel Walker was showing up in uh, in Minnesota. So that was a tough, tough uh, uh, place for them to be put in as well. Not just losing all the players, but losing a lot of draft picks as well. While you were with the Vikings, you joined the United States Bobsled and Skeleton Federation. How did that come about? Uh, you know, I was, I was always competing in the Superstars during the offseason. You know, I won the Superstars a couple of times and with a goal asking me about being on the bobsled team and Herschel who was always saying, okay, I'd do it, I'd do it, said that I would, I would do it. And when he, uh, decided to, uh, when he decided to, uh, go join the bobsled team, uh, or try out for the team in Lake Placid, New York, he asked if I'd go up there and do it as well. And I said, okay. And I went up to Lake Placid, New York. End up being qualified to be on the team, and then we end up flying off to Altenburg, Germany, to try for the like the push championship for the United States. Well, I ended up winning the push championship, which meant that I had to be on a sled. So that's how I ended up on the United States bobsled team. You you eventually played for the for the Eagles and the Giants, and uh, back again with the Cowboys. At, at what point? Did you decide, okay, this, this is enough of the NFL career? Well, you know, I think my my second year back with the Cowboys, uh, people started calling me Mr. Walker. <laughs> it was funny because you know, I played with Tony Dorsett, and then all of a sudden uh, Tony's son is playing with the Oakland Raiders, and then yeah, Ron Spring's son playing with the Washington Redskins. John Chase is playing with the Carolina uh, Panthers. These are little kids that I used to play with on the floor. And now they're in the league uh, playing, and I've been around for such a long time. And I started thinking, is it time for me to get out of the league? And which was weird because if people think right, that's when I was returning kickoff for the Cowboys, and I think I was probably leading the league in kickoff return. 
But I just felt that this is someone else's game, so I will walk away from the game. And you were playing some tight end too, right? I was playing tight end. I was playing in a lot of different positions there as well. Was the transition from football player to normal human being easy or difficult? Uh, yeah, I think for me it was it was easier because you know I was doing so many different things. So at that time I was still I was working. I had some confidence. I was, and I think that's been what's been great for me is I've been uh, working almost all my life. I've been doing something almost all my life where it, I'm, always, I'm always I'm always staying busy, and I think it's hard if I hadn't had anything there because you know you have athletes that grow up. That's all they do is play football. That's all you're doing is playing football. And when you walk away from the game, you got nothing there to do. That's very difficult. Whereas I had a lot of things that I was doing, and, and it kept me busy where I wouldn't have to go home and just think. I'm just sitting on the couch thinking about football. You know, they kept me busy with whatever I was doing at that time. Was your running style comparable to Jim Brown more, or you're more like uh, Earl Campbell type? Well, you know, it's hard to say. Yeah, I never watched uh, Jim Brown play because I never really followed football that much, and I thought Earl Campbell, and I still think Earl Campbell was one of the best guys ever to play. He ran the ball very, very physical. He ran the ball very physical. He ran the ball very physical, and uh, what was so strange about it is uh, I, I think I may have been a mixture of both because of my speed and my strength, that I can do almost uh, both things. So I think that was it more than anything. Okay. Now, if I understand correctly, you have the mental condition dissociative identity disorder. At, at what point does that get diagnosed, and how, how do you deal with that? Well, you know what was so strange? I don't know what was really happening to me until uh, my uh, – Ex-wife was telling me that when I got out of football, I was I was acting so different, and I don't understand that. But then in my business, I could see how I just is so uh, sort of so aggressive on point. I wanted people on time. I wanted things just done so right because you know that's the way I lived in football. You gotta go. You gotta do. It, you gotta do it. Nothing is ever. Uh, you can't like you can't say you're sorry because when you're throwing that ball, you can't worry about it. You gotta keep going. You gotta keep going. And then I started displaying that uh, outside of, uh, you know, in my business life, in my home life. And that's when I figured that I, something was wrong. And I turned and, and found a doctor that diagnosed me as having dissociative identity disorder, which I can understand that because, you know, like I'm Herschel Walker. You know, I don't drink. I don't do anything crazy. And uh, and I never took a drug. And so I was like, this doctor's got to be wrong until he started going over my symptoms and started talking about everything. And, and that's when he started going back to my childhood, being bullied and being picked on, being always put down. And that's where I saw that uh, my uh, I used uh, this football, this athletic world as my coping mechanism, where I was coping with a lot of different things, and I used my coping mechanism so much that now I don't have the athletic world as my coping mechanism anymore. So when I look around and say where I'm going to display all that that that, that aggressiveness, where is it going to be at? Got to be on my loved one in my business life, and that's when I went off to a hospital because I wanted to understand that, and I got help there. And then that's when I learned that we all fall short of the glory of God, that we all have problems, that we all are suffering from something, but some people try to hide it. And I wrote the book then to uh, try to explain it to a lot of people that may have been hurt and a lot of people that may have been ashamed that I wasn't ashamed. 
I'm not ashamed of that because I know that we all have problems. And uh, I think from there, uh, my life can change. Do you think that you would have been the all-time leading rusher in NFL history if you would have played with the Cowboys like Emmitt Smith did behind that line? You know, it, it's hard to say. And, you know, I never try to say you could or you would or all that. You know, I, I think I would have done well. You know, you look at my career right now, and I was telling someone this the other day when he was talking about the Hall of Fame. And I said, guys, if you just take away my years of fail, I don't even look at my years of fail. And I said, just look at what I've done the – time when I had the opportunity and I'm still ranked for the high and combine all my yards with receiving with this thing. I've had over five hundred catches for running bikes. I've done all those things. And, you know, whether I would have had more yards, you know, who knows? I may have gotten injured. You know, uh and so I I don't think like that. I just said it, you know, I think I had a great career. I enjoyed it. I had a lot of great coaches that really done a lot of great things for me and that was important. Was there one run that you made that stands out? <laughs> I know you had a lot of them. Uh, yes, you know, I think well, I was in Atlanta, and I think I had a 90-yard catch, a 90-yard run, and a 90-yard a kickoff return. And I think that stands out a little bit because that's the first time anyone has ever done that. And being back home uh, in Georgia, for the people to see that, uh, you know, their, uh, their son is still doing his thing. I think it was in Florida. If you would have raced during your prime against Bo Jackson in his prime, who would have been faster? No, there's no doubt I'm faster. <laughs> and uh, Bo may say the same thing, but you, you go to the track, you go to the track records, and you know people have said all these times that everybody have. But you know I'm living proof. I got it. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm I'm still doing my thing. Both still doing his. There's not a doubt. I, I, I'm faster. Now you you were on the. Uh television show Celebrity Apprentice and and got fired by Donald Trump who used to be your boss when you were at the in the USFL. What, what yeah. was that experience like? Well, you know, it, it was strange. I didn't know that much about the show. I, I love being on the show. Uh, Miss Rivers, Joan Rivers, I actually love her, Jesse James. I love him. Uh, and, you know, Donald, I've known Donald forever and uh, Ivanka and little Donald, you know, uh, I used to take them to this zoo and all around. So it was great being on the show. But then Donald fired me. I'm like, what? You can't fire me. But you know, it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun. And then I stayed. They wanted me to stay in, uh, to help Joan, which was uh, even better because she ended up winning it all. She won when she beat the uh, poker player, Annie. I can't, uh, Annie. Annie, Annie. Yes, Annie Duke. I was rooting for Annie Duke. I'm not a big Joan Rivers fan. <laughs> well, you know what's so funny? You, Anna, Anna did some absolutely amazing things to have people to come in to bring the money that she brought in because she raised more money than anyone on that show. And at that time, she raised more money than anyone had raised uh, on the Celebrity Apprentice. And, you know, that was absolutely amazing. And Anna Duke did an incredible, incredible job and stuff, and, uh, and you know, you can't take anything away from me. The only reason I said I wanted Joan to win is we were on the team together. And I absolutely love Miss Rivers. It, it's funny because I watched her uh, in front of, you know, you watch people outside of the cameras, and she was absolutely an amazing woman because she was the way she was on camera and the way she was in life. She took care of everything. She talked to everyone. She was on time. She showed a professionalism that I've known all my life, and that's what I try to tell everyone now in business or in anything. you got to be a professional. You cannot just think that you can do things some of the time without doing it all of the time. What gave me a sour taste with her is when her daughter got kicked off. It was kind of like 
you kicked my daughter off. Now I'm going to quit because I don't like the way you treated my daughter. Yeah, she got upset, which is good. That's not for mom. You know, that's a mama bear taking care of cubs. But she did end up staying. And uh, and Melissa, I tell you, Melissa, it's funny. Melissa, she's there traveling in her home. She's a lovely woman, beautiful little boy. And uh, and I'm I'm glad to see Joan like that. I hope my mom would be like that too. If anything happened to her son, she'd say, "Hey, I'm not going to do that." Man. So, what do you do nowadays just to remain uh, busy? Well, you know, this is going to freak you out. Today, you know, I own the largest minority on chicken company in the United States. Uh, I have also a promotion company. I have a tech company where I'm the first, we have the first ever patented video that you can do e-commerce off the video without leaving the video. And it, it will be out very soon called Sensei. And uh, I'm also out with our military service men and women. I go to about two bases a month all over the world talking to them through the uh, Warriors in Transition about uh, the different uh, the traumatic stress syndrome, anything that's suffering through mental, chemical, or anything like that. Uh, and, you know, we, I work in the Universal Health System out of Philadelphia. We treat about four to 600 military service men and women from all over the world that suffering from anything. So, um, and I have about 800 employees. So I've been very fortunate. So do you supply Chick-fil-A and the Colonel with chicken? I don't do Chick-fil-A, uh, even though I know the Catholic family. I know them very well. And I also do a, a motorcycle ride across America for the Kyle Petty Charity Ride, which uh, helps a lot of chronically ill kids. There's a camp in Random, North Carolina, where we bring kids in, and it's all free. They're there for a week. They're chronically ill, where they may get an opportunity to go to Disney World. They can come to this camp. We have doctors and nurses and everyone there on staff. So I do a motorcycle across the uh, country in May. So we're going from San Diego all the way to uh, Savannah, Georgia. Uh, we have about 100 to 200 bikes. So if anyone that wants to do that can go on the website and do a motorcycle ride with us. So I'm doing that as well. And I have a 14-year-old little boy, so I'm trying to be a dad. So we have uh, another running back coming up? Well, uh, you know, I told him whatever he does, I'm going to love him. I don't care what he does. I love him like crazy. He's my little man. Uh, you know, he's, he's running track and he's doing a lot of other things. Uh, I don't think there'll be ever, ever be another Herschel Walker. I, I, I think uh, you were a once-in-a-lifetime well, player. Well, thank you. You know, I, I tell kids all the time, I say, be the best you can be. That's what's so funny about it. There's a lot of talented people out there. And I tell people, you just got to work. You know, I'm doing an MMA fight, and you've got about that. You know, I've been doing an MMA fight, and I absolutely love it. A lot of the guys after Herschel, you know, we weren't even born when you were playing. But, you know, I keep myself in great shape. Uh, I, I'm always working out. I'm always running. I'm running my business. And, and, and that's what it is. I said, if I got all these personalities, maybe they need to hire me to be a congressperson because I got so many personalities where I can cut the budget down, having so many people, trying to take care of a lot of things. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you did it all. Yeah. And you keep busy because if a busy person stays out of trouble. Now, well, that's exactly right. And, that, and I think that's what athletes got to do is keep themselves busy. If you got the talent to play in professional sports, I don't care where it's at, you got the talent to do other things because you know the work ethic that it takes. And I tell people that all the time. We got to work. You know, we're just in talking about our politician, you know, my thing is with them and don't get mad at me. But I said, when are we going to get rid of that elephant and that darn donkey? and start doing what's best for this country rather than what's best for a party. 
right now this country is suffering. Our kids are suffering, so we got to think about them and do what's best for the country. Maybe you and Charles Barkley could run on a ticket. Well, maybe we can run together. Charles will be vice president. I'll be president. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Charles would settle for that. <laughs> you guys might have to thumb wrestle for who's on top of that ticket. Uh-oh. <laughs> that does it for another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com. I'd like to thank our guest, Playboy Playmate December 2013, Kennedy Summers, Herschel Walker, the fabled running back. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.